Hello, friends. I'm Ashish Tabari, founder and CEO of Axomize. And to our new listeners, welcome. To our old ones, welcome back. Today in-house, we have someone very exciting, someone who actually has nothing to do with formal verification or verification of hardware designs. But he's involved in a startup company which is doing a lot of interesting stuff around verification of software plagiarism. His name is Ted Morocco, and he's in-house, is founder and CEO of Silent. Hello, Ted. Welcome. How are you? Very good. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm excited to talk to you today about uh, verification and uh, uh, piracy and all of the cybersecurity issues that are out there in the EDA space. Yeah, I know you are, and uh, just before we started to record our podcast, you and I were talking about some of these interesting things. But hey, before we actually get started on that, I just wanted to take the opportunity to bring in your personal story a little bit into perspective. And if you don't mind sharing with our listeners, how exactly did you get into science and engineering? That's a great, great question. You know, um, I, I grew up in uh, the New York area, Dutchess County, and and where I grew up, almost everybody worked for IBM. Oh, I so see. Yeah. Was, uh, my father worked for IBM. Most of most of my coworkers, uh, I mean, my my coworkers, my students, my fellow students through you know junior high school and high school, it was like a real IBM dominated uh, community. And um, I used to go to IBM and, and see where my father worked, and it really planted the seed of um, wanting to be an engineer. I was you know fascinated by the you know the early PCs and computers that were coming out, and uh, it was kind of in my blood from from a very early early start. And then uh, in terms of education, Carnegie Mellon was, was the, was the hot school at the time. They were talking about every student would have a, a computer on their, on, they'd have their own laptop computer. And I, I said, that's the place that I wanted to go. So I went to Carnegie Mellon and I focused on electrical and computer engineering. And um, then, uh, yeah, got into defense electronics along the way and quickly moved into electronic design automation, uh, particularly in the RF and microwave area, which was, um, you know, defense electronics, electronic warfare, all of that is, is it's all analog, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. microwave, yeah. RF. And uh, so that's where I started doing design work, um, you know, in the early 90s, late 80s. And uh, I, I looked at the tools that were being used for, for that. Some of it was done in-house and, um, my software background was really pulling me in, into that software area. I thought a lot there could be a lot more done to automate <laughs> these design tools. Mm. You know, I, I was I was kind of at Carnegie Mellon. We were doing things with electromagnetic simulators. You know, my advisor there was was uh, Zol Sendez, um, who was the founder of, of Ansoft, which became Ansys, and and those tools were really sophisticated. And I looked at the way things were done in industry, and, and it was still fairly backward. So um, I wanted to get into the software side of the, of the design, and um, I joined a company called ESOF, which uh -huh. is now, which later became part of Hewlett Packard, which became Agilent Technologies. And oh yeah, today is mm -hmm. Keysight, you know, Keysight. And um, at, at ESOF, it was it was fascinating that we, we were developing um, exciting tools. We were we were integrating you know, schematic and layout and simulation, which which was 
fairly common in the digital world, but was revolutionary in, in analog and, and microwave areas. So um, that's also where well, where I started to brush into piracy. I see. We, yeah. Interesting. So, uh, so you've actually been into a lot of diverse subjects from what I can see, you know, starting into RF and analog and electronic design. It's a very different world to then move into EDA and then software. It has got, you know, software and, and RF and analog don't seem to be said in the same sentence. <laughs> Never mind somebody doing it in, in his own career. Yes. So it's, it's very fascinating history. I was looking at your career profile and I was, I didn't think you were, um, you had that many years behind you. Just looking at you, you look very young for, for, for this. But no, fascinating. Um, so, um, so tell us about Silent then. I mean, um, I know you guys are into trying to catch thieves, right? Um, software pirates, as it were. Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely part of our mission. So, you know, the, the the mission is really to focus on protecting intellectual property. I mean, this is. This is, a, this is a huge, you know, uh, according to the, uh, you know, according to the um, IP commission report, which came out in 2017, it's like a $300 billion, uh, you know, problem, the theft of IP. It's in all the headlines. Software piece, you know, so, so the, the IP commission report, um, which our friends in Washington put together, it was a follow-up to a report that was done in 2013. Um, and the head of that IP commission, it's interesting because it all ties back to semiconductors, but, um, you know, Craig Barrett, you know, the, the former CEO of Intel yep. was the head of that commission. And they, they looked at, at, um, they looked at it from a broad perspective. They looked at not only, um, you know, software theft, but they were looking at counterfeit goods, you know, everything from, you know, uh, music, piracy, videos, um, counterfeit clothing, it really covered the whole spectrum of I see. how much mm -hmm. U.S., how much is the U.S. economy losing, losing mm. to theft um, of intellectual property? And and they came up with a number of $300 billion. Um, I, I, or maybe, they said it could have been, a, it could be as high as $600 billion, but it was a pretty broad range. But I, I don't think it's off target. I think that the, the, the methods were sound. And they also spoke a little bit about software um, IP theft or unlicensed use of software, which is really where Silent is focused. I see. And um, that also corresponds a little bit with, you know, there's an organization out there called the BSA, the Business Software Alliance that was started by Microsoft and, and, and Adobe, I believe, and some of the other large you know, software publishers. And they do an analysis and they do a report every two years. And I believe their most recent analysis said it was around, you know, 37 billion or 40 billion, 42 billion in that range the last couple of years. Wow. Just the theft of, of, um, of uh, software intellectual property. And that's what we focus on. And we don't focus on, you know, we're, we are a startup and we, we have to pick our markets carefully having a background in EDA and having a, you know, kind of a personal, um, just from a, a justice perspective, wanting to protect the engineering jobs that are out there from unfair competition, which is really how we got kind of got into this, into this space was um, how do we protect our customers from losing their jobs to um, other countries where they don't respect 
you know, intellectual property. And, you know, we did an analysis, you know, so I, I, I again, kind of getting a little bit off track, but giving you a little history. Of yeah, sure. Yeah. Is I, I co-founded another company, an EDA company uh, called AWR. Uh-huh. And AWR was doing RF and microwave uh, software. They're, today they're part of Cadence. Um, they were also part of National Instruments at one point in time when we sold the company. And we had the big piracy problem with, with the software. And we were selling a lot of licenses. You know, some of our, our favorite customers were people like you mentioned earlier, like Nokia and Ericsson mm-hmm. and Luke Technologies. These were our, our core companies, uh, Motorola. Right. Um, and they were downsizing their, their uh, contracts because they were losing, they were losing uh, market share to companies like Huawei and ZTE and, and, and wow. uh, you know, companies that were not, from our perspective, they weren't on our customer list. You know, these companies were um, doing a lot of design work and coming out with a, a lot of cell phones and a lot of base stations and a lot of equipment that was impacting our large customers. And, and we knew we had a big piracy problem. We just didn't know how big it was. Wow. So, and, and we tried to protect it. You know, we were using the Flexera license manager. Um, the, the cracks would show up on the internet within days of us releasing the software. Um, oh, I see. Remarkable how quickly. And we had, um, we had investors on our board of directors that were asking us, how big a problem is this? And I would stand there and say, it's big. And they're like, but how big? What percentage? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> we, no idea. We, we, we just know it's a lot. You know, we're, we're, we're selling a lot of software licenses into Europe or selling a lot of licenses into North America. Um, but in Asia, we're not selling much of anything. Yeah. You know, Japan was, was, was somewhat of a market for us, but you know, we weren't selling anything into Taiwan or Korea or China, um, Hong Kong, you know, and, and, but we would do seminars you know, we would show up and we would do these seminars and we would fill rooms with, with 300 people mm. and they were raising their hands and they were asking questions and, and they knew everything about the software. They were asking questions like, you know, so when I'm compiling a user-defined model and I get this error message, how do I fix it? Ah, and I see. What do you mean? How do you, how do you, want me to, you want me to fly across, across you know, the Pacific and, and show up here and do the seminar and, and play tech support for you. Um, when I know you have, you guys own zero licenses. Wow. So it, it was an eye opener for us. Um, but, you know, to kind of get to how we um, quantified it was um, we, we decided that we would put a feature in there, a check for update feature. Right. The check for update feature which um, is to report back the serial number of the license file yeah. so that you could check, so you could cross-reference the serial number and see if the customer was on maintenance. Yeah. And when we did that, we, we discovered that the, the number that our board of directors was looking for was 60% piracy. Wow. So, so, so 40% of our customers were buying the, the software and they were subsidizing the 60% that were stealing it. So this was your own software being stolen. Yeah, this was this was this was um, this was our, our company's software. This was our 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 EDA you know platform you know for designing um, you know 
RF and microwave circuits. Yeah, this is this is way before Silent even got started. This was correct. These... Yeah, this, this was around. You know, we started implementing this program. I think it was around 2002. Wow. We put, we put this feature in right around then, and we discovered yeah that 60% piracy rate. Um, and and we also you know then we started to look at the data and we had a lot of data crunchers in our company and we, we could put up pie charts that would show, you know, the piracy rate in China at the time was over 99%. In, in Russia, it was 98. In Taiwan, it was 72. You know, Korea was around 60. Um, and and it, it wasn't just limited to, to Asia. You know, the U.S. had a, about a 20%, 25% piracy rate. All right. <laughs> Europe, Europe had, a, you know, piracy rates that, that varied um, generally. The further south and the further east you went, the higher the piracy rate. Piracy in Spain and Italy and and, and Turkey and you know um, Eastern Europe. I noticed you didn't mention India at all in any of that. Yeah, no, India, India definitely popped up on the on the on the radar. Yeah, it was a high high piracy rate in India, not as high as Russia or China, but but in in that same kind of realm of of like. Um, uh, Taiwan, you know, in that uh -huh. 70% oh, wow. piracy rate. Wow. Still, um, yeah, still quite significant. The, the, you know, the, the legal system in India is, is, is fairly decent and there are ways to, you know, to prosecute the legal system mm -hmm. in some of these countries. And I think that a lot of our clients, a lot of our customers in India for our tools were government, was government sponsored research, you know, so there was a higher level of integrity. Because of the nature of the software being sold and the nature of the customer buying it, it was slightly easier naturally to control it as opposed to a commodity item which is being used by an average. So Ted, let's do a little more deep dive on this. So we're talking about piracy so far, right? But what about cybersecurity and the broader South market intelligence segment? Can you yeah, tell us yeah, so, what is your so, differentiation so, in this? Couple, yeah, uh, thoughts on that. But before I before I just talk about piracy, there, there's also um, in addition to piracy, I don't want to I want to say that whole sixty percent is piracy because it's not. There's there's also what we call um, commercial overuse or unauthorized use, and this is a this is the gray zone. So so we we see piracy at the top and legal at the bottom, but there's a wide uh, piece in the middle where. Um, users may be using software outside what they legally can do, but unknowingly. Mm. Um, so there are a whole bunch of, of uh, websites out there that look that try to look legitimate, but they sell counterfeit software, and and this gets into the cybersecurity issue of malware. So yeah, one of the one of the most in order to get malware on on the computer, you need to have something. That somebody wants, you know, you, you need you need a Trojan horse to get into computer. So the popular way of distributing malware is through crack software. Mm. So so what you can do is let's say let's you know I'll, I'll, let's say somebody wants a, a copy of Photoshop, mm. okay, mm. and if you go to the if you go to the Adobe you know um, store, well actually if you just if you just Google you know um, Photoshop, you will get a whole bunch of stores that will be selling it. And if you're buying on price, um, Adobe's online store is not going to be the lowest price because there's counterfeit versions of Photoshop marked up as like 
discounted or legitimate or something like that. And there are all of these websites that will show up yeah. where you put your credit card in and you get a download and you install it and it looks like Photoshop and it works and it is Photoshop, but it's not, the, it's not a genuine licensed copy of Photoshop. Yep. And if you are a um, um, malicious person that wants to distribute malware, whether you're state sponsored or you're a rogue element, yeah. hmm. person who's trying to make money, hmm. uh, what, the way to do that is to, embed your spyware or your malware and and wrap it into the installer for that crack copy of photoshop and and this is how the wannacry virus was distributed so there was a you know the russians are probably behind it or the north koreans you know there's a lot of speculation out there but it looks like russia was behind the the, the wannacry virus focused at at trying to undermine the ukrainian government so what did they do they said well what accounting software do they use in the Ukraine? And there was a, you know, there was a special piece of software, um, completely legitimate, completely, you know, valid piece of software. People trying to run a decent, you know, business. They embedded the virus into the the ransomware into that accounting software, and they locked up all of these computers. And then it spread outside of the Ukraine. The things started to go all over the place, but. Um, these kind of things happen with malware, so people need to be conscious of the security you know, angles. When you're installing anything on your computer, you can be compromised. You know, so that's that's uh, that's the, the cybersecurity angles. So what we do at Stylent is is we try to detect um, when when is the binary tampered with, when is the when are the keys counterfeit. We we build in security that backs. We're not a license manager. You know, there's still you know. Uh, Talus has the Sentinel license manager, one of the best out there. It's got pretty good security, and Plexera's got their license manager, which is fairly popular. Um, all of those things can be cracked, right? Um, but they offer they offer a first level of security, and and cybersecurity is all about you know defense in depth. Sure, so you, you can't you can't just build a moat and, and keep people out. Yeah, people get across, and you need layers of protection. Yeah, and, and Silent is layer of protection that, that goes deep inside the software to look at the integrity of it and to see if, if, if the bits have been juggled and tampered with um, and what's what's been modified so that you can determine whether it's a genuine product or it's an altered product. So if, if I'm a software company, then I need to um, get a license server uh, or a licensing management system in place, but also then harness your software to make sure that those things don't get compromised. And if this software that I'm selling, if it ever got compromised, then we could find it. And basically, you're, you're like the um, ADT security alarms and, and the very shores of the world, whatever you want to call it. They're trying to actually silently monitor, right? What's going on if there's an intruder, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah, and that was part of the reason why we, re- we rebranded as silent is that you know, we we um, we have uh, described ourselves as a silent alarm for a long time, and uh, you know, we we were originally the company was founded as Smartflow Compliance Solutions, and as we've grown and as we we evolved, we're doing more than just compliance. You know, we're doing analytics, usage analytics. We're we're we're, we're, we're what we are able to, especially in this age of you know the COVID um, pandemic and the new normal. Software companies, particularly on-premise software vendors, they need they need to be able to understand what their customers are doing. And Correct. If their customers 
help. So our technology can help them um, understand their evaluations. They can help them understand their educational licenses. Are these educational licenses really being used for education or, or are they being used for commercial purposes? And if you give somebody a 30 day evaluation license, are they actually using it? You know, most of the times I was certainly on the receiving end of the phone call where people would say, hey, I, I, uh, I had the 30 day demo and I didn't uh, get a chance. I was busy, I couldn't use it. Well, with silent technology, you can tell whether or not that's factual. <laughs> you know, maybe they were using it every day um, you know, for the last uh, 30 days, and maybe they're trying to finish up a project. And they... um, so Ted, just one quick question. Are these probing mechanisms you're building in your software, are they actually legal? Because you're actually trying to find out whether or not they were actually running the demo and not. So you're gathering more information than they might have signed up for, or have they actually signed up for when they signed... I agree to the terms and conditions when they download a software. Yeah, that's a great question, Ashish. And, and we we are um, we're huge proponents of, of data privacy and, and and data security. And and uh, we're also very big believers in the legislation that's come out. You know, like the GDPR and the California Consumer Privacy Act. And you know, Brazil has a cyber security law, and China has one now as well. Um, the, 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 there's been a lot of abuse in terms of collecting data. You know, TikTok certainly all over the news these days. Mm -hmm. but Facebook is probably one of the worst. You know, in terms of just gathering information on users, and you, you just kind of click when you install an app that that they have the right to collect the, that kind of information, and and it's not right. You know, so um, with GDPR, there's a principle called legitimate interest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, Legitimate interest is different from consent, um, but it is something that needs to be very clearly uh, explained. Noted in hmm. the license agreement. Yeah. So the license agreement basically says, look, if you're going to use this software, and let's just say you know, somebody's going to use Design Compiler, for example. If you want to use Design Compiler, you, know, you, you agree that you're going to use it with genuine license files. And that's a legitimate request that a company like Synopsys can make, is that you're going you're gonna to use the tool, you're going to use it with key codes that are provided by us. You're not yeah. going to go get key codes from a, a cracked website in, in, in Russia or Iran or China and use it. And if you do, we have the right to protect our intellectual property. Right. So um, the, 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 the agreements that software companies are putting in place is that um, you you want to only collect the minimum amount of information that you need to protect your software, and you only want to collect it under circumstances where the use is suspicious. Right. Okay. Um, questionable. Okay. So mm -hmm. if you detect a, if you detect a key that's counterfeit, that's suspicious. Right. And, and, yeah. and that that might trigger some sort of a, a, a protection mechanism for right. the software. Right. Right. But if you if you're running it with a legitimate license. Then, then, then be okay. it's not going to collect anything. Yeah. So that, that's kind of one of the lines. And then there's also consent. You know, people can consent to, hey, I want to share your information with the manufacturer. A lot of times you can opt in and opt out of those mm -hmm. things. That's a different mm -hmm. type of mm -hmm. data collection. Mm -hmm. But both of those are ways that you can protect mm -hmm. your IP. So mm -hmm. you can have opt-in, you can have legitimate interest, mm -hmm. you can have a contractual basis for protecting your IP. So Ted, um, I'm very conscious of the time and I know you have to jump to another meeting. And I had more on my plate to talk to you, but I think we're going to leave this uh, at this point today. Uh, and I want to thank you for your time, but 
uh, you know what? I would like to bring you back soon so we can continue would, where we're leaving it I today. Would love to come back. It's, been, it's been a pleasure talking. I'm sorry I dominated the airwaves. But. No, no, no. But we, we certainly, I, I, I've learned a lot today about software piracy and so on from you. And I'm sure the listeners would uh, love to get back on this topic. So let's schedule another session with you. Uh, but today, uh, for now, I would like to thank you very much to take the time out and share all of these pearls of wisdom. Uh, as I would say, it's very unusual to find someone with your experience uh, being able to explain in a layman term to everybody. So thank you very much, Ted, for coming in today. Thank you, Ashish. I'd love to come back. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. So friends, I hope you liked what you heard today. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel and let us know what you would like to hear about. And we'll continue to stay connected. Send us an email at info at And we'll be back next week. Thank you very much.